And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, Grantzer, we are men of our words, if nothing else. We said on the last fancast that uh, in the event of a Canuck trade of some substance, uh, we would jump on the old podcaster. And here we are, Jim Benning pulling the trigger on the Tyler Toffoli deal earlier on Monday evening. And uh, a whole bunch to chew on because it's not just the trade. Uh, we later found out that, uh, yeah, there was a Brock Besser angle to it. Uh, we now know that Michael Furland is done for the season. So the Canucks dropping bombs here on this Family Day Monday. A fascinating evening for the Canucks all around. And, you know, I think a trade that is going to be received controversially in the market just because, you know, this is the Canucks selling pieces that could help in two, three years when Pedersen and Hughes, for example, you know, the cornerstones of this rebuilding project are 24 and 23 respectively to essentially take a shot now. And while that may be a reasonable read based on where the club's at cap-wise and sort of how open the Pacific Division is, you know, I think that there's going to be a sense that not just this market, but maybe this team as it's constructed wasn't ready to take this sort of all-in kind of shot. And it'll sort of be fascinating to see how that plays out, but I suspect that we're in for a polarized sort of debate here, uh, particularly in the event that Toffoli sort of doesn't hit the ground running, as it were, on his, you know, joining the team tomorrow at practice. Right. And we'll get back to the cost of acquisition here in a sec. But let's just start with the player that's acquired. 
Uh, and as it pertains to this news about Brock Besser, who uh, we learn it's a, a rib issue, uh, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. Now, remember, the Canucks had said he would be reevaluated in two games, and we wondered a little bit if there wasn't more to this story. And so now that's come to light. He'll be reevaluated in three weeks. Doesn't mean he'll be back in three weeks, and uh, who knows where it goes from here. But, you know, by the sounds of it, he should be back in time. Uh, certainly for the postseason, if the Canucks are able to get there. And that's another element of this, is that uh, the walls are certainly closing in on the Vancouver Canucks, and you wonder how much of this involves self-preservation for a general manager whose team had a nine-point lead on the trail pack you know, below the playoff bar not that long ago, and it just feels like anybody and everybody that's in pursuit uh, has gained ground here as the Canucks have kind of floundered around at 2-4-1. and one. But Tyler Toffoli is a 27-year-old. He's a right shot, right winger, 18 goals on the season, coming off a hat-trick in the outdoor game in Colorado Springs the other night, so he is truly coming in hot. And, you know, even if Besser was in the lineup, look, the pursuit of a right winger for Bo Horvat has been ongoing for the better part of a year and a half now. So, you know, it would seem to me with Tanner Pearson on the other side, two guys that are familiar with each other, part of that 70s line in L.A., that that would be the landing spot for Tyler Toffoli. But as we know, uh, you know, since the All-Star break, offense has gone a little dry beyond J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And so uh, maybe Toffoli gets a shot with the top line guys. Who knows? Uh, We'll start to get some of those answers. But let's just start with the player that the Vancouver Canucks have acquired. So Toffoli is potentially a uniquely good fit more offensive than defensive in terms of his two-way impact but that two-way impact is very high end you know among the top 50 forwards who've logged at least 1500 minutes over the past three years so he's a guy who helps you generate shots but he's not necessarily a guy who helps prevent shots against and and, and that's obviously sort of been Vancouver's bigger problem all told sort of one feather in his cap I guess is also that he's got that chemistry built in with former that 70s line mate Tanner Pearson with whom he won a Stanley Cup in Los Angeles you know there's some potential you'd think for a plug-and-play scenario where he goes onto the Bo Horvat line and immediately becomes the best right winger Horvat's ever played with and then sort of one thing to keep in mind here is Toffoli has a bona fide top-line impact in terms of being a two-way play-driving piece, but at 5-on-5 over the past three seasons, his scoring is at more of a third-line rate. And as I started working the phones in the wake of this trade, I spoke with a pro scout who suggested to me that at this stage of his career, Toffoli is not the guy driving the bus offensively on a line anymore. He can be an excellent complementary scorer, but... You know, this is not a guy who you can plug on to, say, the Gaudette line and expect to have him do something like, you know, what a guy like Kessel was able to do with the Benino and Hagelin line in, in Pittsburgh. He's not sort of stirring the drink himself in terms of putting up points five on five anymore. And, you know, that doesn't change the fact that he's still a useful piece, but just worth considering that this is a guy who's going to generate maybe more shots and more zone time than he is goals necessarily, at least in terms of his individual impact. He's been playing with Andre Kopitar and Alex Iafalo in Los Angeles of late. I think that's the Kings' top line. I don't know that uh, it's that Absolutely easy to identify <laughs> what is the Kings' top line. And now in the wake of this deal, who knows what the Kings' top line looks like. It was interesting because I was looking at the Kings' remaining uh, schedule because I thought, man, like if Arizona or Edmonton or, you know, one of these teams right around the Canucks now, Vegas, 
you know, if they still have three games left with the LA Kings, like that could absolutely sort of swing the balance of uh, what's left on the schedule for any of these teams in the chase. But uh, the Canucks have one game left. They're in LA, back to back set with Anaheim in mid March, uh, spring break, so whatever that is, third week of March. But really, it looks like all these teams, like I think Calgary's the only team. Uh, that doesn't have a game left with the LA Kings. So in that regard, it's not like one team is going to truly benefit from uh, the Kings stripping things down. Because I think we expect that Alec Martinez will be on the way out the door. And who knows, you know, if there aren't other moves still to come. I mean, it looks like this signals the start of absolutely tearing it down if you are the Los Angeles Kings. Which, of course, means more opportunity for Tim Schaller. And and we do need to spend a little <laughs> bit of time on the gumbet, Jeff. Absolutely. I was As far as I'm concerned, the gumbet remains active. Yeah, I mean we never put any sort of stipulations on this thing. So the sportsman in me is absolutely willing to allow this thing to continue. Uh you know, we'll see where it goes, uh, but there is still a quarter of the season remaining. I know that you have uh, held out hope against hope that you know he would heat up and get on another one of those benders like he did in that week in October well, uh, where he well went now, to town. So now I'm expecting power play time. <laughs> that's fine. You can have every two minute power play they get for your guy. Uh, I still am liking my chances as we sit here. So, <laughs> well, I'm I'm liking them an awful lot more as he goes down to be a warm body for a Los Angeles Kings team, strip mining their roster for future assets. Uh, I think this was a big swing for the Canucks, but a bigger swing, potentially, for the Gumbet. All right, so there you go. People have wondered. I've had a lot of people reaching out on social already. Like, what about the Gumbet? The Gumbet will continue. And Tim Schaller uh, scored on Long Island, but that was the first goal in three months for him. So it's not exactly like he has uh, been holding the hot stick here. But that is certainly a side note to the day. Uh, when yes. we get back to the cost <laughs> of ac- so. when we get back to the cost of acquisition, and it was fascinating the way the deal came out because Drager broke it and only had the Toffoli piece, and that just sent you know the entire Canuck Nation into this uh, frenzy of what was to come. Uh, they knew what was right. coming this way, but what was going out the door, and it was multi layered and involved a, a warm body, it involves a prospect, it involves a draft pick, and a conditional pick if the Canucks are able to re-sign Tyler Toffoli, who's on the uh, third year of an expiring deal, making 4.6 this year, and he'll be a UFA. So we know that the Canucks have their cap constraints, and we'll see where it goes beyond that. But let's deal with the here and now, and that is that you know Tyler Madden was a player that the Canucks had picked and developed and this is a guy that, you know, at the time, people thought, man, skin and bones. He looked like he was 130 pounds when he got drafted. And I remember seeing him at that first development camp or summer prospect camp. And I, I couldn't believe, even though we all knew the bloodlines and, uh, you know, the, the terrific career that his dad had, uh, that this guy was potentially a National Hockey Leaguer. But to his credit, he's worked hard. He's put in the hours. Uh, he's had a nice season at Northeastern. You and I saw him not that long ago, and Canucks management, uh, top to bottom, yeah. was in attendance at the Bean Pot in Boston. And I said then, you know, on you know, it was one night, and his team won. But I didn't think that he stood out necessarily. But I certainly wasn't prepared to judge him on my first live look at this guy uh, as a player. I just don't think that was his best game, given the kind of season that he's had. Um, anyway, I mean, there were a lot of people that uh, are high on Tyler Madden. You know, I guess when you're the Vancouver Canucks, like a couple of years back, they didn't have uh, the currency to make these kind of deals. And so they have replenished uh, the prospects covered, and you got to give to get. And that's where it boils down to, or what it boils down to, in my mind, 
that said, uh, you know, we saw the price of uh, some players on the move over the weekend. We talked about it on the last VanCast. Uh, it does seem like a fairly steep price if Tyler Toffoli only plays 23 games for the Vancouver Canucks. No question. And I had a rival executive tell me as much. They said that it was a high price or that the Canucks gave up a lot for a rental in their view. Uh, a bit of a, some, some split opinion in the industry, though. I heard from another that they thought it was fair deal, uh, partly because of how they rate Toffoli's ability to drive offense. And, you know, one thing that has to be noted is how highly regarded Tyler Madden is. We definitely saw him on an off game, and so did all of Canucks management. And you do have to wonder if that maybe played some role in their decision-making here. But, you know, a lot of people think that Madden is a guy who can be a second or a third-line center on a really good team, right? Who has the hockey IQ and the grit and just the overall skill level to be a meaningful NHL contributor and, and a pretty big deal. And to that end, one thing that, you know, is sort of interesting to me to unpack is what impact did the emergence and improvement as a two-way player of Adam Gaudet have on where the Canucks sort of slotted Madden going forward? Because most people think not only will Madden stick at center when he hits the NHL level, but that really the middle of the ice is where his sort of skill set, his awareness, his skating his puck handling kind of play best. So, you know, you have to wonder if the fact that Vancouver's sort of rolling with uh, a 24-year-old, a 21-year-old, and 23-year-old centerman and looks to sort of be trying to construct a team around those, you know, tent poles in the middle of their roster, at what impact that sort of had on their judging uh, that, you know, a prospect of Madden's clear caliber was expendable in a win-now deal. And, you know, I, I suspect that was pretty decisive, but I also do think that the main impetus for this deal is you look at Markstrom and it's like, how hot is he? How much is he going to cost next year? Like, is he good enough that we should roll in a wide-open Pacific division with the hot hand that he's dealing, right? He is catching everything launched at him right now. And you've got these two elite pieces on entry-level deals. You've got a team that seems to be, you know, coming together pretty well, has some resilience to them based on what we've seen, even in the wake of the Greslick hit where they're all jumping in and answering for every sort of borderline hit that we've seen. You know, clearly this was a message from Canucks management, and I think it's a message to the team and to the city of Vancouver that you know, ready or not, like, this is our time. We're going to take a shot here. And, you know, it's maybe premature. Maybe it's a bit of a reckless bet. But, you know, it's certainly sort of the, the towel they've thrown in, as it were. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, obviously a second-round pick wasn't going to get it done. The the Kings wanted a prospect. Schaller's money out. And, you know, who knows if he resigns in L.A. or what his future is. But, you know, I think he just had to be included from the Canucks' perspective as money out the door. But, you know, Pud Colson was a non-starter, obviously. Hoaglander, I think, in the same conversation. You know, Cole Lind has sort of put himself back in the conversation as an absolute legitimate prospect for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, Michael DiPietro, Brogan Rafferty. You, you, like, somebody had to go. And I don't know about you, and I don't ever purport to be a prospect guru, but certainly uh, try to read as much as I can and the guys that are on the ground and see these guys on a regular basis. Like, the Tyler Madden story is a fascinating one, but, you know, 
was he a top five prospect, do you think, at this point for the Vancouver Canucks? I do, yeah. I think that the... I mean, I think behind Pod Colson and Hoglander, you probably have either Madden or Rathbone, depending on your preference. And, you know, based on what I saw anyway, I think I think of Jack Rathbone as being closer, right? Because Madden is... 150 160 pounds soaking wet you know I don't know that he was going to play in the NHL in the next couple of years anyway and and that's probably going to be true for Los Angeles just like it would have been for Vancouver so you know but but in terms of skill level and ceiling I mean if you're talking about a prospect who the industry rates as having genuine middle six upside you know maybe an offensively calibrated third line center uh, with some rat to him rat to his game which I say you know in complimentary fashion you know that's a pretty valuable piece that's sort of where you get into like low-end Nazem Kadri territory and you know we've all seen what he can do uh, at least when he's not suspended in the regular season Um, you know those are valuable players if if that's in fact what Madden develops but ultimately look it's a lottery ticket and it's a lottery ticket that was going to pay off in two three years just like the second round pick that the Canucks surrendered and now they're looking at a situation where they won't draft until the third round likely right uh, of the 2020 NHL draft and you know considering this team's need for just like supporting skill here uh, you know that's a that's a pretty big hit to take too for a team that you know has decided to take a pretty big swing here but whose best swing in terms of the readiness development skill level of their absolute core pieces probably doesn't even open for two, three years here yet. Uh, you know, you, you do sort of have to look at that critically and, and suggest that, you know, this is a big bet, but was the timing right? I think that's going to be the big debate that'll rage in this market. And, you know, I don't know, really know where I come down on it just because the Pacific is so weird that I certainly don't begrudge a team looking at it and thinking, Hey, we should, we can take this if we improve. Right, but I would suggest that in the last even 24 to 48 hours, the conversation around the Vancouver Canucks has perhaps changed a little now that the Besser situ- the injury situation has come to light. And, you know, we talked about the fact on the last podcast. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers have moved past them in the division. I maintain that winning the division would be a cherry on top of everything, but the goal remains just to make the playoffs. But all of a sudden, uh, there's no guarantees, and, and that's where I come back to the fact with this team sort of sagging 2-4-1 and one in the last seven, knowing now that Besser is going to be out for a while, it does feel like there is an element of self-preservation here. Like, Jim Benning got his extension at the start of last season, but we've said, we said then, and, and I still say it, that you know if this team misses the playoffs for a fifth straight year, all bets are off, knowing how impatient this ownership group can be. And so it sort of feels like, uh, you know, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, that secondary scoring has suddenly dried up too. Like, Bo Horvat hasn't scored a five-on-five goal since the middle of January. He's got two power play goals and an empty netter. His last three in the last 13 games, you know, Jake Vertanen has one goal in the last eight. Tanner Pearson has kind of gone quiet. We know that Louis Erickson really was never an option to be counted on down the stretch as a an offensive driver, but... Uh, you know, for me, forget about taking this swing in the Western Conference. Like, all of a sudden, it's get on your horse and make sure that you, you know, maintain your grip on what you've worked hard to get. I mean, 14-3, and three, that run set them up nicely, but, you know, they're spending a lot of the money that they had socked away for that rainy day. Like, it's pouring rain right now around the Vancouver Canucks, and, and I just think it feels like this is sort of some self-preservation on the part of the guy that pulled the trigger. 
Well, definitely the pressure on management is massive this season. And and it always is with the Canucks, right? I mean, this is a team yeah. that has sort of taken a bit of a departure over the past few years with their patience, right? This is not characteristically a patient organization willing to allow some rebuilding time to, to unfold, right? I mean, Nonis and, and Mike Gillis didn't have a very long leash in terms of missing the playoffs, right? So, you know, we'll, you can understand why, if that's part of the motivating factor, why it would be. But, you know, and and th- those those situations are when mistakes get made, right? That's where you get the ERAT deal and on and on. So, uh, you know, the Canucks have, in the mire that they've waded through over the past five years, left themselves open to that perception. And, and every time they've made a move to accelerate, that's sort of been a popular reaction in the market. And there's a variety of reasons for that, including sort of the way that they timed the Jim Benning extension, right? If if Jim Benning gets extended to a three-year deal prior to the draft, for example, I think we all look at the JT Miller trade differently. But because of the way that things have unfolded here, especially over the past eight, nine months, you know, I think it's fair to read this deal the way you have. And, and you know, it. I think it would be naive to suggest that that's not a factor at all. Uh, but I do sort of suspect that the unique factors posed by the Pacific, even as that equation's changed over the past 48 hours, I suspect that that was sort of the decisive thing that sort of created this urgency in, in addition to the Brock Besser injury. Right. I, I just, I think the pressure ramps up here, like if they were to spiral, and I want to be clear, like I still say that if they can get to 94 points, they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not writing them out. They've got more home games than road games remaining although the difference is just one with 12 at Rogers Arena and 11 out on the road still to come. But, you know, where they once were nine clear of that chase pack, like if they were to fall right out and ultimately miss the playoffs, like that would be a spectacular, spectacular crash back to earth. And ultimately, uh, you just wonder if that wouldn't be enough right then and there to uh, set management or set ownership uh, off. So, you know, like things have changed, and I do think the perce- perception around this hockey club from where they were three weeks ago to right now, uh, they know that like they're still in a decent spot, but it's up to them, and they haven't played well enough here of late, obviously, to get the job done. So Tyler Foley will be plugged right in. You know, it's a, an easy trade logistically, easy flight. He's going to be on the ice at practice, time zones, all those types <laughs> right. of things, familiar with the division. Right. You know, like, no, honestly, like, we've seen other guys that have, you know, had to fly across the continent and get travel hangups and those types. Like, this should be a plug and play trade as trades go. And he can help this hockey club immediately starting on Wednesday night. Yeah, no question. I mean, flying in from Winnipeg, right? So uh, not not too difficult. Um, Hopefully the weather doesn't interfere. And I'll look forward to hearing what he has to say and what Tanner Pearson has to say uh, when they speak and address the media on. Tuesday morning at Rogers Arena, but look, this is a this is an exciting time of year, and this is an exciting move. Whether it's one that works out or not, uh, time will tell. There's no crystal balls in hockey, and uh, you know that's sort of I think part of the equation, part of the reason that the Canucks have, you know, looked at their situation and, and put some push some chips into the middle of the table here. Let's uh, let's sign off with some gut reaction. What's your what's your take? Like, let's do the classic and super annoying winners and losers. Canucks are Canucks are kings, Jeff. Who do you think wins the trade? 
Well, I mean, I think the Canucks needed scoring help uh, right now, especially with the Besser news. So, like, I like the player, and I, I, I like, you know, if I'm Bo Horvat, I think, as you mentioned, probably the best winger that uh, he'll have had a chance to play with. So, you know, from that end, it, I think in the here and now, this is the kind of player that the Vancouver Canucks needed. So I don't mind the deal, but, you know, ultimately, only time's going to tell. And, and so I don't know that you can uh, sort of, you know, deliver a verdict, certainly, on the trade as a whole. But I, I think that Toffoli uh, comes in at a time when they need him. My concern remains with Brock Besser. And, you know, we've addressed this a couple of times. But the fact that he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks makes me wonder if it could end up being a six-week kind of injury. We just don't know. It's already been a week plus. And where it goes from here, uh, ultimately, time is going to tell. But, no, I mean, look, selfishly, I love yeah, they're the best. trades. Like, there aren't <laughs> enough of them, and and I get it. They're not easy to, to consummate. I, I totally get that. But, you know, even from a young age, like as a kid, I would just I love hearing trades and, and, and then trying to evaluate them. As you said, nothing gets people – nothing. Nothing gets people talking in this business like trades. It is the best, and I think you nailed – I think you nailed it. Like, I think you hit the nail on the head here by declaring that the winner of the Tyler Toffoli trade is, in fact, Bo Horvat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I, can work, I, can, I don't agree with everything you say, but I'll agree with that one. I'm, I'm along for that ride. Well, good fun, man. Glad we got to, you know, dust off the old emergency podcast. And, you know, we'll sort of see how things unfold here now. But I don't think the Canucks have necessarily shot their only shot here. Uh, you know, if... Assuming that, for example, Mott and Levo went on LTI, uh, you know, we'll we'll know more tomorrow, but I would assume that that's sort of what the Canucks have done. They have the space to add to Foley's hit as a result of that. Um, you know, they're still probably looking at about a million in cap space and can obviously make that into two or more, depending on who they reassign and sort of what Oscar Fantenberg especially's timeline looks like. So... Uh, you know, I don't think the Canucks necessarily are done or capped out despite having added that 4.6 full salary uh, because they got out of Tim Schaller. I, I think there's some flexibility to still, you know, add maybe not a piece of Toffoli's sort of size, bandwidth and, you know, curating, but certainly to add uh, something that can help them bolster maybe their depth on the right side of the defense or maybe even add some toughness into their bottom six. Well, it certainly adds some intrigue to a Tuesday practice that looked like it was going to be pretty routine, and then obviously on to Wednesday night's game against the Minnesota Wild. And as we mentioned on the last podcast, like there's some real significance now, some juice to that game oh, yeah. uh, from a Canucks perspective, just based on the way they've been playing and what's going on around them. It was another tough day on the out-of-town scoreboard, but uh, they've deflected the conversation with the Tyler Toffoli deal that came down just before the dinner hour. And as we said, if something like this happened, we would uh, jump to action and we'll make the pledge again uh, between <laughs> now and the trade deadline. If something goes down, uh, we will get to it on an emergency vancast. So for Drancer, it's J-Pat. Uh, we appreciate the support. Thanks so much for checking us out. Our thoughts on the Tyler Toffoli deal. We'll see him in uniform, likely wearing number 73, on Wednesday night when the Canucks host the Minnesota Wild. That's going to do it for this emergency vancast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.